0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, you know me, Justin, I'm relatively well-travelled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently, so that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife. With plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favorite shows or films is a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus, a bonus gift it's completely risk free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Mm. Welcome to the second tier podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Starcade to my WrestleMania. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. How are you, Justin? I'm um, very good, thank you. Just full of cold, but we'll skate past that. What's Starcade? Oh, Starcade is. You know what WrestleMania is, don't you? Yeah, well, of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But- WrestleMania is the big WWE events that happens each year. And Starcade was the WCW equivalent. WCW being WWE's main competitor back in the 90s, early 2000s. But they went okay. out of business.
1: Oh, uh, quite sad. But yeah, reference, very niche reference. Got to be It's a- because
0: it just in its WrestleMania weekend. Are you not aware of this? <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm
0: not. I'm not. Is that tonight then? At the time of recording? Well, it's over two nights nowadays. So what? there was one... Yes, it's crazy. So there was the first day last night, uh, Saturday night for anyone who's listening on a different day to Sunday. And then the second night is on Sunday night,
1: which is tonight. I don't like that at all. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I mean, WWE no, W-C-W, WWE's, yeah, waned a lot since back in the heyday when I was growing up and at the same time as you, obviously, with The Rock, Stone Cold mm. and Triple H and Shawn Michaels and all, all of that gang. But yeah, no, not like it used to be, as is everything. Who was your favourite? I used to, I, I used to adore The Rock. I had a big laminated poster of The Rock wow. um, in my in my bedroom, and I used to run around in my underwear thinking I was him <laughs> doing the people's elbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Family, family appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> um, well, on that note, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to go through all the games from the championship over the past weekend. I mean. What a, re- a weekend we've had, Justin. We've had three derbies anyway, which will make it a very interesting weekend <laughs> from the start. But I mean, some of the results, only three teams in the top half won this weekend, mm. which is, I mean, bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> so we'll go through all the games from the past weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days as well. Then finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. We'll get onto the derby games shortly, but there's only one place for us to start here with probably the shock result of the season. Huddersfield four, Middlesbrough two. It's only Huddersfield's third win of the calendar year. Middlesbrough had only failed to win five league games in 21 prior to this. Huddersfield had only scored three in their previous nine games. I mean, I say it's shock result of the season. It's probably even one of the biggest shocks ever in Championship history. Instead, do you remember a few seasons ago where? Wigan hadn't won away all season or something like that, and then they beat Leeds, who were top of the league at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's similar
1: to that. It's, I mean, it makes people look like mugs. I don't know who, I don't know who would uh, so convincingly put all of their, I don't know, gravitas onto a onto a Middlesbrough win here. Uh, absolute mugs. Um, but yeah, it was, it was it's madness, bonkers. As you say, it's it's uh, a complete shock um i mean one nil up at half time and i was expecting yeah fairly easy fairly easy game for Middlesbrough in the second half because they get better as the game goes on they they have done under the all season but for credit to this field they come out that came out of the blocks very early in that second half I say very early very very early in the second half and the tide swung for them and that's the championship ladies and gentlemen that's all you can say it's it's just one of those things, the predictable comes the unpredictable. That's how the, that's how this league works. That's why so many are drawn in. It's it's just one of those results that you just got to take your hat off and go, Well, you've cost me a lot on my ACA, thank you.
0: Yep, they certainly did on mine. <laughs> it is that's the only explanation you could provide, isn't it? It's the championship. These results spring up every season and it just never fails to surprise you. Even though all the statistics point to one result in particular, Mm, this comes out and ruins everything as far as (laughs) your betting goes. Um, I mean, Middlesbrough went ahead and I just assumed they'd go on to win from there. They weren't great in the first half by any means, but offered more than Huddersfield did. And then the second half starts, Huddersfield score almost instantly, then score again, and then again, and then again, all within the space of 20 minutes of the second half. It was just... It was just bonkers and they, they sprung to life like we haven't seen them all season. And Neil Warnock called it one of the biggest wins of his career. I'm not going to argue with him because it's a result which sends tremors right throughout the championship in many ways, doesn't it? None less so than in the relegation battle. It means Huddersfield, who looked like their hopes of staying up were on life support not too long ago, <laughs> have now closed the gap on the teams outside the bottom three. They're level on points with Cardiff and there's just three points separating them and QPR in 19th. Funny how quickly things can change, Justin.
1: It's Again, I, I'm just going to use the word again. It's completely bonkers because QPR have just been on this horrifying run of form that's pulled them into, into this battle. in Huddersfield, I, I, I don't know, I don't, it's really hard to describe the fact that Huddersfield haven't been inspiring at all all season. But they are chipping away at things. They are getting results under Neil Warnock. The last three games have been good. Performances have been better. And they are slowly improving. There is life there. That's all I can really say because I don't think they're magnificent. But this could be a result that completely transforms Huddersfield's season. And, you know, it's never too late in this league. Um, As I say, QPR's run of form has has given teams a chance. Reading's point deduction, possible point deduction, has given teams a chance down in that bottom three. And it just brings life back into what was probably going to be a fairly flat uninspiring potentially last last few games for, for those teams in the bottom three but Holtzfeld, as I say credit to them they deserved the win here um, because that second half was fantastic and I think when the tide turns as quickly as that you can sense something happening and I think if they can carry that on carry that momentum and, and good feeling on they get you know they've got a very good chance well, when we said it looks like
0: Huddersfield are probably going down not too long ago, it wasn't your typical, oh, the second tiers just being over dramatic, overreacting to results, as we sometimes do. I mean, we had Huddersfield fans criticising us for stating the obvious, and journalists of Huddersfield Town saying they're relegated. But. Mm-hmm back-to-back wins goes a long way in this relegation battle, simply because so many teams down there are struggling to find any form of results. I was having a look, and in 2023, this calendar year, the bottom seven teams have won 16 from 97 games. (laughs) I mean, all of the teams down there are really struggling, so these two results for Huddersfield are just game changers, and now I don't know what to think. They were playing terribly under Neil Warnock. Like, not much better than they were under Mark Fotheringham, and now this happens. So they've truly thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, and with the news of them being taken over as well, the mood has quickly changed at Huddersfield. So they'll be thinking to themselves, we can definitely stay up and possibly even do it quite comfortably if these two mm-hmm. results are anything to go by. Uh, Michael Carrick admitted that he struggled to rationalise the mad 20 or so minutes at the start of that second half, which is completely understandable because so am I. As far as promotions and promotions concerns, this puts a
1: huge dent in their hopes, doesn't it? It really does, and I think you've got to look a bit deeper. I think Middlesbrough's defensive record probably gives Sheffield United the advantage. Sheffield United are a much better side defensively, and that ability to and let's take this game out aside. The goals they conceded were poor, and Stefan was suspect for a couple of them as well. Um, but they aren't as efficient defensively as Sheffield United or as, as Burnley are obviously anything anybody is um, and maybe even as Luton are so they don't have that upper hand they're very good going forwards but that lack of say maybe a bit of fragility defensively could, could hold them back um, but that being said they're still a very good side and they've still got a half decent chance but this could be I mean it could be a catalyst for Huddersfield in staying up but it could also be a catalyst for Sheffield United carrying on their uh, a bit of momentum and you know, that 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 six point gap becoming a real, um, you know, a real feed for for positivity at Bramall Lane. So, yeah, it could is well, damaging, but I think as we've shown, or as we as as we've been shown, Middlesbrough are very good at bouncing back from these these types of results. So, next couple of games, next few games, we'll we'll learn a lot again.
0: You say they've still got half a chance, Justin. I think that's automatic promotion, over and done with. To be honest, because if, if Middlesbrough were going to take Sheffield United, they'd need to win every game between the international break and the end of the season and could possibly afford to drop points twice max. And losing to a side like Huddersfield is a massive blow because they've got games coming up which are a lot trickier than Huddersfield Mm -hmm. and a six-point gap with seven games remaining when the other team have a game in hand, I think that's just too big a mountain to climb. And unless Sheffield United actually do bottle it, then I think... I'd struggle to see anything else happen really than just the top two staying as it is. I mean, it is a remarkable achievement in itself that they even got to this point, Middlesbrough. This was the only, uh, this was only the sixth league game in 22 where they've dropped points. But now mm-hmm. it just seems like maybe this was a bridge too far, which is completely understandable for because the, for them to go from where they started under Michael Carrick to this point is, it, it, they've come a long way, haven't they? Yeah. And yeah, if, yeah. if it is indeed the playoffs for them, then... I mean, they'll be well up for it, won't they? They'll be heading in as the favourites. So promotion is still a very real possibility, of course, for Middlesbrough. It just may not be the automatic kind. Uh, By the way, Middlesbrough's first goal was a real beauty. The build-up was excellent. Obviously, it doesn't mean much because they lost. But I just want to point out how nice a goal that one was. Uh, Let's get into the local derbies then, Justin. And in the M1 derby, Rob Edwards and Luton got their revenge over big rivals Watford. They won 2-0. And it was actually a very one-sided game Watford created next to nothing. In fact, their best chance was a half chance, really. A header from Jeremy Ngakia. Luton could have won this by more because Daniel Backman was a very busy boy.
1: Yeah, it was quite astonishing to see how busy he was and the complete lack of protection he was getting from the players in front of him for Watford. It was staggering, really. I put this game on because I was expecting a lot more than what I saw. And that's not a criticism of Luton because they controlled the game and they were very comfortable It's more of a criticism of Watford because they didn't offer anything a Derby offers, if that makes sense. It was such a poor, poor game from them. And as I say, Luton were brilliant. They were very, very comfortable. Um, I don't think, I mean, they'll have easier games this season, but that will certainly be up there as one of the easier games they've had. Because as I say, it was just so comfortable. As soon as they went one-nil up, Watford offered next to nothing. I think they had one chance, maybe half a chance. Um, And the game should have been wrapped up before Alan Campbell scored the second in, Um, towards the end of the game. So, yeah, quite astonishing really how bad Watford were. It was dreadful. It was an embarrassing performance from Watford.
0: I mean, it's a local derby. You're fighting for bragging rights. You're fighting for a playoff place. You would have not guessed that from this performance. They offered next to nothing. Only one team looked like they wanted to win it and Watford got what they deserved. And I think nothing sums up Watford's season more than Losing in a local derby with the manager that you had at the start of the season sat in the other dugout, Mm -hmm. you know, shaking his fists in front of the (laughs) Luton supporters in delight. It was a great showing of this is what you could have had if you weren't so Watford and sacked managers so willy-nilly. I mean, miraculously, there's still only six points off the top six. They've been very fortunate that virtually no other team in the playoff race won this weekend. But they're not keen in the playoffs, are they? Because this team have nothing about them at this point. Chris Wilder didn't hold back after the game. He said the best team won. There's no hiding place today. This is a proper derby. The opposition players uh, played like they knew that. think it may... I think it may need a full cultural reset here. The fans want to see a team and their reaction in the, the game said everything I'm hurting are the players. You'd have to ask them. I'll put my head on the pillow tonight knowing I did everything I could before today and then on the day it might be damning but I wonder if the players can say the same. Scathing comments, Justin. Absolutely scathing. However, he's saying it like he is, isn't he? I mean, where do
1: Watford go from here? <laughs> That's a brilliant question. Um I mean, Wilde has called the players out, and that's absolutely fair. And I think there are probably, if you read between the lines, there's probably an element of maybe calling out the ownership as well. The clubs needed that. The clubs needed that uh, individual to come in and speak out against what has been a club that is just very poorly run. It's massed massively by um, probably Premier League money. Um, And I think the difference between Luton and Watford, I mean, Luton are miles ahead of Watford, and I think the only difference, sorry is that Watford have been backed by wealthy owners previously not I mean less so recently and have had Premier League money otherwise Luton would be miles ahead of them now if if they're on sort of similar financial um, uh, yeah, capabilities so and I think that, as I say the difference is here is it's just the team has no characters there's a, a lack of personality um, the club are very well the team is very reliant on João Pedro you look at Daniel Backman who has had criticism this season. He kept Watford in that game for as long as he possibly could. Um, I, what, I mean, what happens, I think they're trying to make adjustments The the new uh, head of football or technical director, however you want to call it, has come in, made some additions in, in January, but they're going to need time to, to, to bed in. Um, but Wilder's right. The club needs a complete cultural reset. What that entails, I don't know. Um, clearly, the The club needs to go in a different direction. Will it go in a different direction in the Potsos? I doubt it, because they've shown this season they can't do it. Well,
0: we've blasted Watford enough here. Let's praise the Mighty Hatters, who were excellent here. Just two losses in the league this calendar year. And they've now won three consecutive home games without conceding a goal in the second tier for the first time since April 1982. That season, they
1: were promoted to the top flight. Justin, is it a sign? (laughs) <laughs> could be, it could be. I mean, even if you take last season, for example, they were they were very good for large parts of the last season and just fell short in a very tight game against Huddersfield. And I think this season they a so much better place because they've got a manager who has a slightly different take on what they've already got. And I think that's the major, major positive. Rob Edwards is able to get more out of the team from an attacking point of view than Nathan Jones did. Um, but Nathan Jones left it in a very good place. And as I say, I think the addition of Nakampa as well in the midfield, I mean, he dominated the midfield alongside Alan Campbell against Watford, both in and out of possession. I think Nakampa made 10 or 11 tackles, which just adds a different dimension and a different level of intensity into that midfield. That's massive going into the playoffs. They're very good defensively. They're clinical. They create chances. Really, really good blend. Again, I was speaking about Middlesbrough and their inability to... um, be as efficient as de- defensively as a team, you know, as Sheffield United and in and even Luton. Luton probably have the edge there as well, so they might be going into the playoffs as favourites. If, if, you know, if they can maintain their form. So, yeah, this this could be the season. I'm not counting my chickens yet because the playoffs were unpredictable. But you can't you can't deny them that the praise and they, they deserve it. They've done it on a budget. Everyone knows it. They're a good side. Incredible side. I can't help but compare
0: Luton. And Watford, again, you've got one club who put faith in the managers, give them time. Even if things aren't going brilliantly, they're given time to turn it around. And every signing is researched at its fullest and is brought in because they fit the manager and uh, fit them how the manager wants to play and is because they fit into the club's philosophy. That is the complete opposite to Watford, who are just an absolute mess. I think... Rob Edwards getting sacked at Watford was actually a blessing in disguise on his behalf because it meant he was available for Luton at the right time and it's been an excellent appointment, hasn't it? And I've said this for the last couple of years, Luton will be a Premier League club in the near future. There's a great chance of it happening this season, but even if that doesn't happen, it's only a matter of time as far as I'm concerned, Watford... Who knows where they're going. They've got a much bigger budget than most at this level, especially Luton. But that's pointless if it's not being used correctly, like it is at Luton. A 99th minute winner from Ben Cabango saw Swansea win again in the South Wales derby. They beat Cardiff 3-2. The limbs here, ridiculous. For both sides, actually, when Cardiff equalised and then with Swansea's
1: winner. Just an unbelievable game, Justin. I have no idea how to assess this game because there's a lot of good from both sides, but also a lot of a lot of bad. But yeah, you can't deny the emotions of a ninety-nine minute ninety-nine minute winner against your closest rivals, your fierce rivals, your hated rivals. It's a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous uh, feeling, especially going two 0 up and then pegging you back as well. I just can't imagine the, <laughs> the sheer ecstasy. And also as well. The free kick in from Fulton and those rebounds as well. So there's there's going to be a lot of you know anticipation and you know fans probably falling off their seats or falling over their seats. Um yeah, just just yeah, incredible. But as I say, I can't I'm struggling to assess this game because I saw some good and I saw some bad. I, I don't think it's a terrible performance from Cardiff, but the emotion of it is it's, it, it's gonna feel like the worst thing in the world. But actually, a fairly impressive performance in between the goals. Yeah,
0: I agree, actually. I mean, Swansea have become the first team in South Wales derby history to do the league double in back-to-back seasons. Last season was actually the first time a team had done it, uh, had done the league double, and now it's happened twice in a row. And actually, I was having a look back at my notes from last season when Swansea beat Cardiff 4-0, and I said Swansea have had quite an underwhelming season but they seem to have saved their best two performances for the South Wales derby (laughs) and it's happened again hasn't it their recent record in this fixture is absolutely remarkable they've won seven of the last nine South Wales derbies and they just seem to turn it on when these two teams meet since the previous South Wales derby in October Swansea have only won four games prior to this so it just exemplifies even more how they get themselves up for this fixture. Bizarrely. Maybe it's got something to do with the managers. Russell Martin's been in charge of four of these games for Swansea Mm -hmm. now. won each one and has faced a different Cardiff manager in each of those games. (laughs) That is a mind-blowing stat, isn't it? And I mean, Whatever the case, Swansea have got Cardiff's number, haven't they? I mean, that's undeniable at this point. It'll be very interesting at the end of the season to see how much of an effect that one sweep of a leg from Ben Cabango has on Cardiff's season because they and QPR were really the big losers of the weekend as far as the
1: relegations battle's concerned, aren't they? I think, yeah. It's, I think that's that's, that's why, again, as I repeat it, it is difficult to assess this because Cardiff can see some really poor goals. Um, and I know there's a lot of rebounds for the for the winner for this one's the Swansea winner, but the free kick really is, is what should have been avoided. You can't be giving away free kicks at that point in the game. Um, and I know they, they, the teams below them won, but again, the performance impressed me for the most part, other than the clumsy defending. Uh, you know, coming back from two goals down, for example, in a derby against a team who are very good at keeping the ball. He created chances. chances Cabal was uh, a threat. Um, Jana Filipine was was fantastic going forwards. There are plenty of positives to take out of it. Um, it's just it's not going to seem like that's the case because it's such a painful defeat. But that being said, if they can repeat that performances and fine tune those those areas they made defensively, they will get results. They will get results at the weekend. Uh, I, I do have a lot of faith in, in LaMouche and Cardiff. and LaMouche was very honest uh, as well post-game. I think he's pretty much said the same thing I have, um, albeit a lot more detailed. Mm. Well, there were definitely teams
0: outside the bottom three who are in bigger danger of going down than Cardiff right now, aren't there? However, you can't discount them. They're no. looking the most convincing they have all season right now. Under Lamouchi. Having said that, it's not like the results have seen a drastic upturn. So it means they're struggling to shift themselves away from the bottom three. So still plenty of work to do for Cardiff. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of work to do for Cardiff. They've got a huge game on Good Friday away at Blackpool. A loss there. And I'd be very, very concerned. <laughs> In the West Lancashire Derby, Preston thumped Blackpool 3-1. A bit of a strange game, really, because it's an embarrassing result against your big rivals. But I thought Blackpool actually played all right here.
1: Again, it's it's one of those that's quite hard to assess because Blackpool created more chances. They had more corners. But I think the difference is that the level of coaching between the sides and the continuity of the coaching probably played out. here. Yeah, I think Preston's game management was a lot better. They managed the moments better. They took their chances Whereas Blackpool didn't. Jerry Yates, for example, cut a very lone figure at times. That injury to Gary Medine's probably more significant than, than many people would have thought. Um, because Yates did a very good job of playing off him. Um, but the lack of reaction, I think the second half, the Tom Cannon goal, the way Blackpool defended. It's those moments that they've just been, they, they, they do, they, they manage terribly. They give the ball away. Preston, it wasn't exactly an electric counter-attack, but it was incisive and Blackpool couldn't deal with it. I think that's the key thing, is defensively they're just not good enough to, to probably survive in this league. They create chances, they've got the players to do it, they've got good players going forward, we know this. Um, but sadly, they're just big moments, they, just, they haven't managed at all this season. Well, they've
0: got lots of problems, haven't they? And one in particular has got to be firepower, which is a bit weird saying that about a team who scored six not long ago, but... The case still remains. Jerry Yates is their top scorer of 12. Not a bad tally, particularly for a side in the bottom three. And he has picked up recently, but he has only scored four since the end of October. Gary Medine's the next high scorer of four. He's out for the season. And That's one of the many reasons why Blackpool just can't seem to make any ground on the teams outside the bottom three. Results, I expected to see some form of upturn considering the business they did in January. But it just doesn't seem to be coming and seems to be quite a way off. They'll have the odd game here or there, particularly that 6-1 game where they look like they may actually turn things around. But just doesn't seem to happen. And if you're not stringing together a couple of good results back-to-back, then you're never going to get out of the bottom three, are you? And Blackpool just seem incapable of doing that. But let's talk Preston. A great goal by Brad Potts against his former club. What a free kick by Ben Whiteman as well. I think question marks could be asked about Chris Maxwell in goal. But the execution from Whiteman was top draw. Preston deserve huge credit for this win, don't they? They, they took the chances when they came and have given their supporters the bragging rights. They've also kept alive their slim hopes of nicking a playoff place, but I'm going to assume you're still not entertaining the
1: idea of them actually getting there, just in the five points off. No, I still think Blackburn and Millwall are probably better equipped to have a consistent run of form because they've shown it a lot more this season than, than Preston have. Um, similar, similarly with, with West Brom, they're very good side defensively and I just think they, they probably edge... Even Norwich, they probably edge Preston on that. But that being said, I think a top half finish would still be a very good season for Preston. And what has been a very frustrating period <clears throat> for Ryan Lowe. You look at how um, how they were in last summer's transfer window, and even in January, to an extent, you know, a lot of holes have been covered with loan signings. Tom Cannon's been a very good uh, a very good forward for them. Lindelof's probably underwhelmed again. Um, there's a lot of good things here for for Preston. I think if they can finish strongly and carry that momentum on, there's a lot of teams that will want to be doing that. But the, the case can be said for Preston as well. If they can finish strongly, I've got faith in Ryan Lowe to hopefully get some budget, put put a good team together and make a good go of the playoffs for next season. That's they're probably one of those sides, a bit like Coventry as well, who are in that category in Sunderland. Um, so yeah, probably this season's probably come a bit too soon for them. But there's good signs for them to build for next season.
0: Well, I agree that this, I cannot see their playoff push being particularly serious and the the simple reason is one there's quite a lot of traffic between Preston and the top six and two this form that they're currently on is the best form they've shown all season and for them to get a playoff place they'd have to show that form again between now and the end of the season which is a huge ask for this Preston team which in terms of quality isn't anywhere near as good as some of the teams up there. So that's why I'm still certainly very sceptical about Preston actually mounting a serious playoff push. In a huge game at the bottom of the table, Sean Maloney got just his second win as Wigan boss by beating QPR 1-0. Plenty for us to dive into from a QPR perspective. Justin will discuss that shortly, but after the week Wigan have had, or two weeks rather, this is a remarkable result and they deserve a lot of respect for getting three points.
1: They do. They, under Maloney, they've been a much better side. It's just a shame his appointment came so late. Um, but the, again, this was a good performance. They, I think, the, the the big difference in games is they didn't concede too many. They didn't concede too many chances. It was a very good defensive performance from Wigan. But the key difference in those games, I mean, we're not surprised with Maloney because they have tightened up massively. But I say the, the difference in those games is that they haven't been able to take the lead or take the onus or take the moment. When it came, they did that with the penalty or beer terrible clumsy challenge in the fourth minute from an experienced defender mm. um, and they and they, they took the chance and they defended brilliantly throughout the game. They managed the game very, very well and as I say, as long as things are OK and go fine off the pitch, I think they're in a very good place with Sean Maloney and Wigan staying up would be very Wigan, wouldn't it? They defied the odds in the Premier League, countless escapes. Um, they won the FA Cup in, in 2013 um, and uh, they, they 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 survived under Liam Richardson in League One before going on to win promotion. So them staying up would actually be very weird. it's that uh, yeah, it's just one of those bizarre things that they offer up. They're a good side at doing it, and they cultivate that sort of atmosphere. So yeah, I think points wise it might be quite far off it, but performances like this do give you a lot of hope. And yeah, I mean that's football. This hope that kills you, isn't it? But that being said, if they can mount over no in a form, there are teams outside the bottom three who are being dragged in. Well, they're, they are the miracle club,
0: aren't they, in, the t- yeah. in terms of the number of miracles they've managed to pull off over the past 20 or so years. This would be up there as arguably the biggest miracle they've pulled off so far, <laughs> because they looked like they were going to be cut adrift at some point. But th- this is a miraculous result, isn't it? They defended the lead really well, and we've praised Sean Maloney relentlessly for how much better they look at the back under him. And... This was a perfect example of that. Ben Amos had to make a couple of Gov saves, but still, they limited QPR to very little. And one lad I wanted to highlight for Wigan is Christ Ahe in midfield. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong, but he's really caught my eye recently. He's an all-action midfielder who's really good at winning the ball, but also carrying it forwards as well. And I will be honest, I didn't know too much about him until very recently. I think I can let myself off because he's had a bit of a strange career. Just three years ago, he was playing for Tunbridge Angels in the National League South. He then moved to Czech Republic, where he's played ever since, until he moved on loan to Wigan. But has looked he's looked a really good player, and I imagine he'll be playing in the Championship next season, whether Wigan stay up or not. Let's go on to QPR, Justin. This was their eighth loss in nine games, and it's another bad one the closest they came was a volley from 25 yards out Mm. a really poor showing from Rangers the worst thing is they had a lot of players back from injury for this one Chris Willock Ethan Laird Kenneth Powell all started this game all were so important to them earlier in the season under Mick Beal Elias Chair came off the bench no improvement in QPR's fortunes the fans were livid after the game Leon Balogun went over to speak to them and had to get pulled away by Albert Sedoma all is not well at this football club, and the
1: relegation trap door is only inching more and more open. They they will be praying that the likes of Wigan and Huddersfield. i discount Blackpool at this point because it's hard to see them getting out of the bottom three. But they'll be hoping that those those two those two sides um, have a few hiccups because it's hard to see Wigan uh, sorry QPR picking up a run of results. Um, it's quite remarkable really that the best run of form came uh, two managers ago under McBeal. It's it's completely completely bizarre really that being said I mean there are good players at that club there are very very good players at the club that we've praised extensively Mark Warburton the foundations that he left have completely eroded now they they're, they're not there confidence is rock bottom the club's losing money um, and it's hard to see where QPR go from here because it it feels like a chapter is as firmly closed for them and under Gareth Ainsworth it's going to be a long hard slog Um, of a a tenure potentially whatever league they're going to be in in my opinion Um, but this game epitomised all the bad as I say they've got so much potential in that final third they've got so much potential probably one of the most talented attacks in the division pound for pound there's so much creativity there but there's nothing going forwards and defensively they've got some really good individuals but there's some chronic bad decision making um, and it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to envisage how they get picked up from it because, as I say, the decision making for the penalty, for example, such a clumsy tackle. I mean, he's he's let I can't remember who he tackled. I can't remember who Balogun tackled, but he let them in. He let them in by not dealing with the first ball, um, and then he's and then he's took he's took the player out as well. It's there's just that's been chronic over the last sort of few months, and it's hard to see where they go. It really is. Um, it's hard not to rant about them either. It's week on week now. Well, without a doubt. QPR are the team outside the bottom
0: three who are most likely to go down, aren't they? I think that's undeniable at this point. Gareth Ainsworth said after the game that there's no panic at the club, and that's worrying because there should be. The only thing they should be doing right now is panicking. I, I, I like Ainsworth as a bloke and as a manager, despite how things are going. But just look at the facts. Eight losses in nine. Since he's come in, no team has scored fewer goals than QPR. And no team has conceded more goals than QPR. Defensively, they're a mess. And going forwards, the game plan just seems to be who fits up the pitch. They've got Elias Chair and Chris Willock back from injury. But they're going to struggle to impact games when the ball is sailing over their heads all the time. So you need Ainsworth to change his style of play quite drastically. Which I'm not sure he knows how to do. Because Route 1 was... they did at Wickham really and they're in huge huge trouble and it's worth mentioning as well their remaining fixtures are very concerning the lowest team in the table they have to face is Bristol City who are 14th apart from that it's all upwards from there so Gareth Ainsworth, if you're not panicking then you should be Because I'm panicking and I'm not even a QPR fan. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that we'll talk about a huge win for Sheffield United and a huge win for Birmingham too. back to the second tier podcast let's go back onto the automatic promotion race then and there was a huge victory for Sheffield United a James McAtee goal saw them win 1-0 away at Norwich David Fackner, not very happy about that goal being given he was saying that it was offside despite it 1 million percent not being offside so I'm not sure why he was clinging on to that particular moment but it wasn't a game with an abundance of chances, to be honest. In fact, it was actually quite a scrappy and feisty encounter. Not sure I'd have expected that from these two teams, but a gigantic win for the Blades, especially after
1: Middlesbrough's loss. Yeah, some some more rough, rough and tumble tackles in this game than I did in all the derbies. To be fair, so yeah, yeah, credit credit to these two teams for for putting it out there. Um, but yeah it's a significant result I think for both sides actually I think Sheffield United as I say Middlesbrough losing that's going to give them a lot of confidence and then actually keeping Norwich out keeping them very quiet um, will give them a lot of confidence going forward as well because they kept a good team a good team very quiet and I think I think Sheffield United hit the woodwork three times I mean discounting one of them Boldock's follow-up from Billy Sharp hitting the woodwork uh, was one of them but that being said it was a professional performance they they kept it tight they kept it uh um, uh, disciplined, and I think that's what you expect from Sheffield United, especially in the business end of the season. It's not about gallivanting, swashbuckling performances at this stage. You've got to grind it out. You've got to make it ugly. It's going to look ugly, but it doesn't matter as long as you're getting results and clean sheets. No one's going to care, and that's probably the the mindset Hacking Bottom's going to take into this into this um, yeah final phase of the season. I mean, if you just look at the goal, how scruffy it was. No one cares. That's the, that'll be one of the best goals they scored this season because that could set them up for a very good end to uh, end the campaign. Well, it's amazing how quickly things
0: can change in a matter of days, <laughs> doesn't it? Um, Sheffield United now well in the driving seat again for automatic promotion and their takeover, which was looking as if it was in the balance now, looks like it may very well be going ahead after all. More about that on the news. Um So you had them in this situation where they could potentially miss out on promotion, not have a takeover and possibly be heading into administration (laughs) or the exact opposite happening. And fortunately, it looks like it's going to be the latter option now. I mean, their remaining games are also much kinder than Middlesbrough's So they've just got to avoid
1: complacency, haven't they? And Premier League places as good as theirs. They've just got to do what Sheffield United do. And that's just picking up results Going about it quietly, playing in third gear as they have done for most of the season, and as I say, that's just what that's just what they do. They're a very efficient team. Um, they 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 keep opposition at bay. Um, they manage games very well. There's a little bit of shit as well, which is which is always nice, is it? There's, I mean, if you just look at that incident with Baldock and Max Ahrens immediately Ollie McBurney just grabs Ahrens in a headlock. There's a togetherness there that. It's very hard to rival from from other sides. Um, and I think that's what's going to see them over the line. That's what sees them over the line type games like this. Because um, as I say, I don't think Norwich offered too much. I think Marquinhos had a couple of chances. That's about it. But they just they just manage games very well. Um, and that's a major positive. And that's what you need going into that, to, uh, as I say, into that final phase of the season. Other teams in the
0: Championship will be holding the chaos baton this weekend, which may hide Norwich's blushes, but... They shouldn't really be getting away with it, Justin, because this was really poor. Norwich didn't manage a shot on target until the 92nd minute. And the thing is, they were a goal down for the last half an hour. But there there wasn't any urgency to find an equaliser. And I find that to be really poor, Justin. And we've given Norwich plenty of stick over the past few weeks. Then It's not like they're doing anything to change our minds, are they?
1: (laughs) No, they're, they're winless in four. They don't inspire going forwards. I think Clinton Morrison said on the um, on the review show that they'll be fine because they've got Timo Puke. Timo Puke's got 10 goals this season. The issue isn't scoring goals. The issue's creating them. And that's down to the uh, transfer business in the summer or the lack of transfer business in, in the summer. Or the lack of transfer business since some key players have been sold. They haven't replaced the creativity that has left the club in the last 18 months. And that's really where the big issue is. It's not the forwards, because they've got some talented forwards. They just don't create enough chances. And we saw that in this game. I mean, Sheffield United are a good side, but you'd expect Norwich to at least go toe-to-toe with them. And the Sheffield United were very comfortable. Um, we've said it for a long period of this season, um, or you've said it, and you've allocated the point very well. They need a soft reset um, in the summer, whether they go up or not. I don't think they've got enough to get into the playoffs this season, I think there are sides that are better equipped to do it, to sustain a run of form because they just haven't done that under Wagner. And as I say, those those issues are probably they. It's why Smith got sacked. It's why Wagner's struggling. And for me, the fingers point back towards recruitment and uh, maybe Stuart Weather. It's just it's it's one of those occasions where you look at the
0: league table and you go, how the hell are Norwich still seventh? it it seems ridiculous that they're still that high and that in touch with the playoffs still, speaking of which a Cadra goal against his old club saw Birmingham beat Blackburn 1-0 Birmingham surviving a late onslaught by Blackburn, but a huge result
1: for Blues, Justin Yeah, massive, Um, I've retained the same thing, uh, the same message about Birmingham, they've impressed me over the last five or six games results have started to pick up, they've been creating chances, they've had that steely approach to him in the, in the last uh, few games as well, which has been good. Um, and it's coming to the fore now. They're they're a good side under John uses. John uses is a very good coach. He had a really bumpy run of form. It was important to keep cool heads. I know a lot of Birmingham fans were getting a bit stressed and concerned about being dragged into the bottom three. Um, but they're much better equipped than the other sides that are in and around it. I mean, I'd expect QPR to be up there, but they aren't. And that's just how football works. But Birmingham have that uh, steeliness and, and rigidness that... A lot of teams uh, don't have that down there, and that's why they're seeing themselves up. That's why they uh, out-disciplined Blackburn, if that makes sense, because this is sort of a a Blackburn result where they ride their luck, they get a 1-0 win, and they take the three points home. But Birmingham did that, and yeah, it was a good result and some good performance as well. Djokovic really impressed me. I don't know how he didn't get on the score sheet, though, the amount of chances he had.
0: Yeah, well, three wins in four now for Birmingham. and it's, yeah. We've said it quite a few times in this episode. It's amazing how quickly things can change because relegation now doesn't seem to be an issue at all. They're more than safe now, aren't they? Of course, this loss by is by no means the end of the world for Blackburn because virtually everyone around them dropped points. So it's not really any real change in their playoff status as things stand. But it is a bad result. I think Blackburn are the championship version of Tottenham this season for me and what I mean by that is you watch them and think this lot aren't great but then you look at the table and they're still in the top six and you're just like how how are they still in the top six I think a large part of that is down to how they manage games because they go ahead and they just sit on lead it's not great to watch and it's not the most convincing at times. And you know, I I've been critical of Blackburn all season, saying <laughs> they're nowhere near as good as their position in the table suggests. Blackburn fans have unsurprisingly said that they are. Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, and perhaps I have been harsh this season, but having said that, I I don't think they'll finish in the top six still. They've got by far the most difficult remaining games out of all the promotion
1: chasing sides. I mean you're rolling your eyes, Justin. Why do you think they will finish in the top six? <laughs> Uh, because they, they, they're consistent um, and that's something that isn't measurable I mean it is measurable by the results they get but performances have shown that they can be consistent and as I say teams that are defensively sound tend to fare better getting into that top six and Blackburn have got that I know this game was one of those games they're a bit flat but their decision making probably cost them in the final third more so than their are defending it um, so yeah I think Blackburn I mean they're competing with uh, West Brom not Sunderland, um yeah, West Brom, Norwich, uh, and maybe Coventry. Um, and I think West Brom are probably the team that are going to run them closest. They've got a game in hand, which helps, and they've got some really good players as well. Um, but they've proved me wrong, and they're slowly proving you wrong, or I would hope so, anyway. Um, I'm sure about but, that? Yeah, but as I say, they, they, they're very good at managing games, and that's that's been the big thing. They're not inspiring going forwards, but they are inspiring at managed games, and that's that's something, right? Want to bet on it? it's gone then
0: 20 quid that they don't finish in the playoffs yeah. Lovely. yeah look forward to having that at the end of the season West Brom v Millwall ended goalless uh, strangely I think this might be a decent result for both teams considering the results around them
1: yeah again it's a bit of a weird one uh, poor game um West Brom would be disappointed basically clean sheet it's a point against a rival Millwall very good away point against a promotion rival or a playoff, a playoff rival so yeah a decent point but point probably suits Millwall more than it does West Brom because West Brom are, ch- are chasing um, that being said Millwall are a very good side and they've had some really good results away from home recently um, and, and probably West Brom just lacked a bit of a spark it was a bit of a flat game something you've come to expect quite, quite soon after the international break um, but to Two really good defensive teams, so it's not surprised both sides keep a clean sheet. Well, that, that's it. I think both teams just defended
0: really well. Charlie Cresswell, in particular, for Millwall, was a man mountain at the back. And I mean, it's incredible how well he's done for Millwall this season, despite only being 20 years old. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's partly down to Garrett Rowett and his ability to allow things to be mixed up, but as well as that, he's got down and dirty with things as well. He's got he scored some goals, um, but he's taken to the championship much better than you'd expect a 20-year-old would do. I mean, you look at that clash I had with Andy Carroll a couple of weeks ago. Elbows flying everywhere. Can you imagine a 20-year-old doing that to one of the most Mm. experienced strikers in the Championship? There's personality there. There's character. And I guess there's an air of arrogance and you need that if you're going to step down. And he, he has been a good performer. And it's not a surprise to... I mean, whatever happens to Leeds, whether they're in the Championship or the Premier League next season, I'd expect him to be in around that first team because he's he's shown that he's he's, he's capable of stepping up. He's a, he's a very good player. Um, he's a good ball player. He's 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 solid. Um, there's clearly a lot of learning there that needs to be done. But he's shown that he can he can mix it with uh, some some good players this season. Well, Jed Wallace was also getting plenty of
0: stick from Millwall supporters. Went over to clap them after the game, which garnered a bit of a mixed reaction, but mostly a positive one from what I saw. It has led to a bit of a debate amongst Millwall fans about whether he's a Millwall legend, which. I'm surprised is even a conversation, really. Of course he's a Millwall legend. Je- I mean, Jed Wallace was Millwall for the two or three seasons prior <laughs> to this one, Monty, The number of times he was single, or nearly single-handedly, carrying the team on his back was unbelievable. I mean, it's not his fault that his teammates weren't able to match his standards because he was one of the best players in the Championship for multiple seasons. 57 mm-hmm. goals and assists in his last three seasons at Millwall. That is... An incredible tally. And you can't blame him for leaving. I mean, I imagine he's earning a lot more money at West Brom. And I think if you offered every Millwall fan a lot more money to move to a different company, the vast majority of them (laughs) would take it as well. So as far as I'm concerned, Tim Cahill is the only player who comes to mind as a better player than Jed Wallace for Millwall this century. But you say that, Justin. No, 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 you're right. And even then... I'd say it's still quite close between these two. I will admit the idea of Zion Fleming and Jed Wallace in the same Millwall
1: team is a lovely thought, but he's a Millwall legend, isn't he? Uh, it's it's really hard to define legend status because, uh, I mean, if you look at... Uh, if I use an example from, from Derby, Craig Forsyth, been there for 10 years. Is he a legend at Derby? I, I don't really know. It's very hard to say because he's not got the club promoted. Um, they've not won anything. They've just been very steady. Um, so are you really a legend if you are remarkable well, well, through a steady well, 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 period? Well, I don't he, know. Hang on.
0: When Wallace was first at the club, Millwall were battling relegation every season. Yeah. And now they're at the other end of the table every season. And I think... Uh, 90 percent of that is down to Jed Wallace's brilliance, because otherwise, if they didn't have him, they'd be nowhere near that position yeah, anymore. But anyway, Mill will move up to fifth with this point and have a four-point cushion on the teams outside the top six. West Brommer ninth, five points off the top six. Coventry Nil Stoke four. What the hell has happened to Stoke? They've gone from being absolutely useless all season to one of the form teams in the division. Their last five games have been against sides who have been targeting the playoffs and won 11 points from a possible 15 with an aggregate score of 13 to 4.
1: What the bloody hell is going on? It's it's weird, isn't it? Somebody somebody in the water in uh, Staffordshire. Um, I I mean, it's not really surprising. Uh, I think. If you look at the the team under Michael O'Neill, you look at that side and go, "There's potential for a lot of fun here. There's some really good uh, attacking players, and they, they've got some really good defensive players as well. There's a lot of potential for some fun here." And obviously, Alex Neil came in, and it took him a while to get to grips with the squad. It took him a while, uh, a while to to really find out what his best eleven is, and find out who he can trust as well. And now he's done that. He's come out of the other end. January added some really quality players, and Ben Pearson's been absolutely fantastic since he's come in. To and he's been. Good as well. Um, there's just a lot of yeah, a lot of uh, development over sort of a five or six week period, and I, I think that ability to to tap into that really fun potential that Stoke had in terms of the quality of play that they've got, we're seeing the best out of them now. Probably just a shame that it's come so late in the season. But as I say, you have got players like Jacob Brown, Tyrese Campbell. Um, there's Nick Powell when he's fit. Will Smallbone's been brilliant uh, lately. Um, Hoiver at right wing back. I thought his career was. Not done, but he's going to drop down the leagues. But he's been fantastic at Stoke because I mean, his last few loan spells have been really underwhelming. He's not developed the way he has, but he's been brilliant. He's been absolutely brilliant. And there's just this, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of really good blending in by Alex Neil. And as I say, he's tapping into that fun potential this team's had. And I think that's the that's the main thing. There's always been good players there. They just it's just not happened for them at key times. And it has and it is. It's probably just too late for a playoff push.
0: Similar to a few teams, a bad result for Coventry, but isn't necessarily the end of the world because the teams around them dropped points. was a bad, bad result, though. I feel like now is an opportune time, Justin, to quickly ask who you think will finish in the playoffs because it's
1: it's bloody tight around there, isn't it? It's really hard to... I mean, I've put a 20 quid bet on Blackburn finishing in the top six, so I can't take them out of it now. (laughs) And I've backed Millwall to the hilt all season. So I put myself in a corner, and it's not like Middlesbrough or Luton are going to have a significant drop-off in form, is it? So I'd say it would probably finish as is. West Brom are probably going to run it closest, but I think scoring goals is an issue for them. Putting chances away is an issue for them, which might see them fall short. I will go with, well, obviously,
0: Middlesbrough, I think their automatic promotion push is probably over now, unless Sheffield United really slip up a few times like they'll have to be on an ice rink to slip up that many times I think Uh, Luton comfortably in the playoffs I'm sure about that it's the other two places which I'm not too sure about and I think they're the ones that are up for grabs I think Millwall will have enough I say cautiously Um, I just think consistency wise they should get over the line I'm obviously still not convinced about Blackburn, as everyone is quite (laughs) rightly aware of at this point. Um, And West Brom look the most likely out of the teams outside the top six, I think. I think Coventry could run it close. They'll have to play a lot better than they did at the weekend. Mm -hmm. But West Brom are probably the side I think will get in there. I think they've got a lot more to give. They haven't been playing too well recently. They can definitely step it up another gear and... Get into the playoffs quite comfortably, I imagine. Uh, let's go through these final three games very quickly. Justin Reading got just their second point in six games by drawing one all at Bristol City. Quite a good game, this one. I found Lucas Yao's goal very enjoyable. Andy Carroll with a headed cross. Xiao flicks it on. Very Brexit. Paul Ince said it was a good point. Very quickly, Justin, I'd be very inclined to agree with that.
1: It is a good point. They don't get many points away from home, so any point they get is a good point away from home. That being said it's not a team that inspires me under Paul Ince. I have sort of concluded that for them to really hit their potential Ince probably needs to go With that six point deduction looming it's a bit of a concern as well but they have to really start to improve if they can build upon this result then fair enough but not convinced by them under Paul Ince now
0: If anyone's wondering what's happening with that Six-point deduction. Everyone else is as well. Apparently it was going to happen two weeks ago. <laughs> then it was going to happen last week. Then it was going to happen this weekend. Still not happened yet, but surely it's only a matter of time. Hall nil, Rotherham nil. Hall really should have won this one. Ozan fan, Ryan Longman each had really good chances. Rotherham definitely have a lot of work to do to stave off relegation, don't they? Just four wins since mid-October. Their next four games are West Brom, Norwich, Luton and Burnley. And that's quite an unforgiving run, isn't it?
1: They are very good at playing against teams uh, in the top half, though. So it's one of those things where you just go, let's play it by ear. So they might be picking up results, it might surprise you, but that being said, they've been second best uh, in the last three and a half games. That's including half the Cardiff game as well, where they were largely second best. So, yeah, that's the main concern for Rotherham, they need to pick up.
0: And then finally on Friday night, Burnley v Sunderland finished goalless don't think we've finished on a Burnley game this season, have we? But it is only the second time since October that Burnley haven't won a game at Turf Moor. It also probably means they're not going to get the points record now. They can afford to draw one game between now and the end of the season. So unlikely, but it was fun while it lasted. I think it's definitely the closest a team has come to doing it in a long time, maybe even ever since 2006. Um I also still think they're the best team the Championship has ever seen. But that's a discussion for another day, Justin. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Rotherham Reed Cardiff will be replayed in full. The EFL says it's considered restarting the fixture from the 48th minute after it was abandoned because of a waterlogged pitch, but decided against it, despite Cardiff being 1-0 up at the time. The game will now be played on the 25th of this month. In a statement, Cardiff said, We are extremely disappointed that the fixture will be rescheduled and replayed in its entirety, a decision which disregards the first half of the original fixture, which was unaffected by any weather conditions, despite submitting a detailed incident report to the EFL, which contained photo and video content that documented, to the events that took place at the New York Stadium. We are aggrieved that the points we have raised have been dismissed. We are particularly frustrated that our staff players and supporters who traveled to South Yorkshire must now make the long journey once again during a time of heightened personal costs and fixture congestion. Do you think it's the right decision, Justin, to replay the game in its entirety?
1: I, I, would, I would say no. Um, I've never understood this. I think it was a Real Madrid game of quite a few years ago where they played the last eight minutes of a game, um, but I know under certain rules, if you get to a certain minute in the game, um, either that game, e- either the minutes uh, sort of brushed off, and the game's result is final, or you play the last or the uh, the remaining minutes. So yeah, I do think it's unfair. The personal cost aspect is is something that's quite significant as well. You know, a lot of those Cardiff fans, they travel in numbers as well, Cardiff supporters, so they're going to have to make the away journey again in midweek because um, there's no time. I mean, if you look at the amount of games that have got to be played now between. Well, now this point uh, and the end of the season, it's yeah. There's not a lot of time to squeeze in. There's going to be a, a tough, a tough slog of a few days, um, and it, yeah, it, it's frustrating. One, I see Cardiff were, were in the, the driving seat for the three points, really, and obviously they were. Um, yeah, they've been shafted a little bit by uh, legislation, well, lack of legislation, which we say. So yeah, frustrating for them, um, and yeah, it's, it's just disappointing. But what can you do? There's nothing. I think it's the only option the EFL
0: had, to be honest. They've they've got to stay consistent. Otherwise, any games which are postponed mid-game in the future or even the past, the clubs can say, well, you did this on this occasion. Also, Rotherham could argue that they had a great chance in the second half, which was affected by the weather. Who's to say that wouldn't have been a goal? And if the game was resumed from the 48th minute, how many Cardiff fans would actually travel all the way to Rotherham to watch less than half a game? Not as many, especially on a weekday. So they will lose a lot of away support that they would have had otherwise. So there's too many factors involved and it's just the sensible thing to do to have the whole thing restarted. Cardiff will obviously be disappointed, but I just don't see what else they could have done really. The Athletic says West Brom's new auditors have effectively written off the £5 million loan the club owner, Gwachan Lai, paid to one of his Chinese companies in 2021, signalling their belief that it's never coming back. The loan has been a source of anger for West Brom fans ever since it was revealed in the club's accounts. Lai had promised to pay it by the end of last year but didn't and then said he'd pay it early this year. Well, it's April now and this news has just come out. Now West Brom have insisted that Lai still intends on paying the loan but is it actually going to happen? Who really knows? And it, it's just pathetic, isn't it, Justin? The lack of respect Guachan Lai has for West Brom fans is despicable. He's treated the club for years now like a plaything. And it's just something he owns as far as he's concerned. He, he doesn't care at all about the history of the club, how important it is to the community. It's just mere trivialities to him. The club is struggling to stay afloat as it is, hence... The loan it took out a few months ago which was essentially to keep the lights on and you've got the owner of the club who's just stood by not giving them back the money that he owes to them so it's it's a bonkers situation and West Brom fans are rightly concerned about the future of their club and I'm just not sure where things go because I can't see it improving while Guachan Lai is the owner of West Bromwich Albion. Uh, we'll move on just to the Nigerian businessman Dozi Mabusi has furthered his credentials to buy Sheffield United by publishing a full review of company finances. It's been independently audited by Deloitte and shows consolidated revenues of more than £932 million. His personal fortune is reportedly in excess of £5 billion. He's still subject to the EFL owners and directors' tests, but so far no problems have arisen as he tries to buy the blades from Prince Abdullah, who's said to have run into financial difficulties. A lot more reassuring news, Justin, than we've had uh, about him recently, because we've had some sketchy reports about Mr Mabusi. We at least have some more concrete evidence that this takeover will happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good thing. Um, I think uh, the time it takes for the owners and directors test to undertake is frustrating, especially if you want to get a, a takeover done quickly. It's quite difficult to do. But the Due diligence that, that has been done has reassured everybody that he's got money. That's the last thing you want. Is he t- well, I mean, if you look at Derby's situation last season under Crich uh, with with Krich Kirchner, um, you don't want them to get to a point where they're just trying to get the money transferred to, to put the deal over the line and then apparently there's no money. So, yeah, this is the the due diligence doing the right thing. This is you know, it's, it's getting the right information out there which is a positive it's reassuring it's good Um, obviously it's hard to judge an owner until they've had some time at the football club but that being said at least it's showing that he has got some cash in the bank which is thumbs up According to the
0: Times, the streaming service Dzone is bidding to stream every EFL match live. It would mean the 3pm blackout is scrapped. It's one of a number of streaming services which have reportedly expressed an interest in broadcasting EFL games when the current contract with Sky expires in 2025. We'll have a chat about that another time, Justin. In injury news, West Brom defender Dara O'Shea is going to miss the rest of the season with a knee injury, which he picked up on international duty. A huge blow for them because he had played every minute for them this season. Ched Evans won't play again for Preston this season either. That's because of a neck problem. In transfer news, Blackburn duo Scott Wharton and Hayden Carter have both extended their contracts until 2027. Championship clubs have spent £36 million on agent fees this summer. Norwich paid the most, £4.4 Watford were second, having spent slightly less. And then Burnley were third. Reading spent the least with just £200,000, although not too surprising considering they have you know, limitations on what they actually can do financially rather than the second least. And then Blackpool and finally two QPR fans are paid 13,000 pounds for a wedding themed around the hoops. Lee and Jackie Sudder had a three tiered cake in blue and white colors. They had recorded messages from QPR legends like Les Ferdinand and the 11 tables were named after QPR legends. He proposed to her during a tour of Loftus road. And for her hen do, she went with the girls to watch QPR lose three one of Blackburn. Uh, Justin, you're getting married soon. Have you tried to convince your partner to do a Derby County-themed wedding?
1: Derby bring my mood down so much. (laughs) Uh, So there's absolutely no chance I would do that. Um, No, never crossed my mind. As I say, this is, yeah, this is taking a turn. This has really frustrated me. Um, I don't know why. I I think it's just Derby bringing up some untapped anger in me because of crap. Well, there you go.
0: Let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Which of the teams outside the top six are most likely to finish in
1: the playoffs? Coventry, Norwich, Watford, West Brom? This is a complete hypothetical. I would say West Brom. If any team's going to have a go at that, it's going to be West Brom. Well, the answer
0: that, well, the winner of the poll, Justin, is Norwich. 35%. Uh, West Brom got 32%. Coventry 25%. Watford only got 8%. Is the top two race over and done with now? Yes or no? Yes. Done and dusted.
1: Game over. Let's go.
0: Yes, I would probably agree with that. 73% of people said yes. 27% uh, of people said no. And finally, who's the best WWE wrestler ever? Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold, The Rock, or The Undertaker? Stone
1: Cold. Stone Cold all day.
0: Yeah, I'd go Stone Cold. I absolutely loved Stone Cold. um 33% of people said The Undertaker, fair. 30% said Stone Cold. 26% said The Rock. 11% said Hulk Hogan, which is understandable because he is a bit problematic. Now it's time for this.
1: Hi, Simon Grayson Edge.
0: It's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Simon so asked Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, Name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So, all he needs to do, or well, he'd lose a life in this case, so all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. Just isn't this week, Simon Grayson has given you two lives on this one, so you can afford to get one wrong. And since the last time we spoke, Crystal Palace changed manager. So can you name for me the last eight Crystal Palace managers? Any managers who've had more than one spell count as one answer, and we're not counting caretaker managers in this particular quiz. So, Justin, who is your first answer?
1: I'm just going to make the point that these Simon Grayson hateful eights have been really fatiguing me for the diddy or didn'ties. Justin,
0: mid-week. no one cares. Can you just give us an answer, please? <sighs> but he Frank de Frank de Boer is a very good answer, yes. He was in charge for five games and lost four of them. What a disaster that was. <laughs>
1: kind of like Gareth Hainsworth, actually. Just in your next one. Uh, yeah, the Hodge. Uh, the Hodge. Are we counting the Hodge? Of
0: course some? we're counting the Hodge. Cool. Yes, he was reappointed this week for his second Palace spell. Or was it last week? I can't actually remember now. Uh, since during the international break. Um, so that's two down, six to go. Paddy Vieira, obviously. Yep, spent nearly two seasons there, reached an FA Cup semi-final as well. That's three down. You've got five to go, Justin. you still got two lives. Pulis,
1: the cat man. Let's go. Here's one.
0: Yeah, this blew my mind. He won Premier League Manager of the Year in the 2013-14 season while in charge of Crystal Palace, which I, I do not recall whatsoever, but there you go. You're halfway there, Justin.
1: It's Alan Pardew. He was there, did the dance, didn't he?
0: Yep, had a season and a half there, reaching an FA Cup final along the way. Three remaining, it's starting to get a bit tricky now.
1: Three remaining, we've got Ian Holloway as well. Yep,
0: got Palace promoted through the playoffs in 2013. That means you've got two left, Justin.
1: Dougie Friedman made one of the most worst decisions of his career, well, probably the worst decision of his career leaving Palace for Bolton, so he's up there, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he was in charge when Palace famously beat Man U in the Cup. Uh, That means you've got one remaining, Justin. Can you remember who it is?
1: George Burley.
0: It wasn't George Burley. So that's one life down. You're on your final life, Justin. This is it. One remaining. I've gone in
1: such a stupid order. Um, I've really shattered myself, but I think I've got all the Premier League managers down. Pulis took over from Holloway. Holloway took over from Friedman but it's that gap for Friedman there Um, yeah this was going so well until this one and now it's completely gone from my uh, from my mind who was there before Friedman Christ that's difficult Neil Warnock left way before that Neil Warnock Neil Warnock is in the Premier League I've just realised I've completely messed this up Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the website I was looking on had Neil Warnock lower down the list. Um, so Dougie Friedman was actually incorrect. Um, Neil Warnock was correct. You hadn't named all the Premier League managers. You forgot Sam Allardyce.
1: Oh, uh, he did the dance as well, didn't he?
0: He may have done a dance at some point. So actually, I got that wrong. Dougie Friedman wasn't on the list. You've fallen foul to Simon Grayson's since Hateful Eight, Justin.
1: Well, I think that's complete nonsense. I'm paying for your errors here. That's just no, ridiculous. Because you yeah. said Dougie Freeman before no, no, Neil no. Warnock
0: and then George Burley.
1: Uh, yeah, but you said you said it was correct. All all I'm saying is well, you forgot just about accept, Sam dice, anyway, didn't Just ex- right. responsibility. This has been the Second Tier once.
0: Podcast. We'll be back again <laughs> on Thursday to look ahead to all the Good Friday games which are coming up over the Easter weekend. Um, so we look forward to seeing you then. What a disastrous end to this episode. <laughs> I've been Brian Dilks. We're <laughs> just in peach. This has been the Second Tier. We look forward to seeing you again on Thursday. And a big thank you for listening.